0: A little over a week ago, I was driving around in my car and that song came on the radio. I was thinking about this sermon. I was thinking about this day to come and this song comes on the radio and I began to think about how messy life can be. And life can be messy. And in that messiness, we often experience doubts. At the end of the book of Matthew, at the end of Matthew's gospel, in the last few verses, the 11 disciples are standing around and uh, they see the resurrected Jesus. And Matthew writes this account. He writes for us. And these are the words that Matthew writes. They worshiped him, but some doubted. That seems remarkable to me. After the resurrection, after seeing Jesus resurrected from the dead, Matthew tells us they worshiped him, but some doubted. It's not only remarkable. In all honesty, for me, it's a bit encouraging and comforting because we find ourselves in good company with others who doubt. Because at one time or another in our lives, in all of our lives, in your life and in my life, at one time or another, we all doubt. Last week, we were in Genesis chapter 15, and we were introduced again to Abraham, and we saw how God demonstrated his trustworthiness to Abraham. In Genesis 15, God declares to Abraham, I am your shield in your very great reward. And then to prove this truth, he enacts this incredibly, this amazing and a bit freaky covenant ceremony. This promise ceremony where God, if you'll remember, God separates animals in half. He creates a path so that he can walk through the path, demonstrating his trustworthiness to Abraham. He's making a promise to Abraham. I am going to provide you a son and your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky. And then last week, we had the opportunity at the end of the sermon to write down all of the ways in which we've seen God demonstrate his faithfulness to us. So I took out my piece of paper and I start listing some of the ways that I have seen God demonstrate his faithfulness, his trustworthiness to me over the years. And I create this list and I'm going through this list and I'm looking at this list and I'm like, what, do you feel the same way? Last week, you're writing that list and you're putting all these ways down that God demonstrated his faithfulness to you. And then Jim said this, he said, now, now I'd like you to write down that thing that concerns you, that thing you're scared about, that thing that you're not sure is going, write that thing down. So I wrote that thing down. And then Jim said, now I want you to imagine God saying to you that he loves you that he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. That God is going to be right there with you in and through that thing that you're scared about, that thing that concerns you, that thing that you don't know is whether it's going to happen or not. And I remember writing that down and I remember thinking to myself, God loves me. And I walked out of here on top of the world. Did you feel the same way? but then monday came but then monday came and it was a dark monday even as bright as sunday morning was monday was dark because i began to doubt you see i've been holding on to that promise for a long time and that promise didn't seem to be headed in the right direction it did not seem like that was going to be fulfilled anytime soon so i began to doubt Maybe last week, you experienced doubt too. Maybe you're here this morning and you're experiencing doubt. You're questioning God's faithfulness to you. Maybe you applied to the college of your dreams and they denied your entrance. Maybe you've wanted a husband and you you don't yet have a husband. Maybe you've asked for a child and still no child. Maybe you invested all your money in a business venture and it has failed. Maybe you spent Christmas with your family and you recognize how far they still are from Jesus. Maybe your girlfriend broke up with you and you're just, you have no answers. You don't know why. And right now, this morning, you're listening to me. You're sitting here in the chair of a church or you're watching online and you're doubting God's faithfulness to you. You're doubting, in fact, whether he can be trusted. And it's tough. Truth is, is that it is very, very difficult. And I think at the core of why it is so difficult is because in that doubt, we feel, we feel in our hearts like God has abandoned us. Like he doesn't care about me. What in the world, Lord, could you be doing in my life in this situation? Clearly, God does not see me. Please take your Bibles and open them up to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16 is found. On page 11 in the Bible that the church provides, and I'd encourage you to grab one right there in front of you, in the rack in front of you. There should be a Bible. Turn it to page 11, and you will be uh, right on the page that Genesis 16 is in. This morning, we're going to continue our study in the book of Genesis. And this morning, we meet two new characters, or we see them more closely. We meet Sarah and Hagar. And we meet Sarah and Hagar in their doubt. And in their stories, we see how we should respond in our doubt. And then we're going to look at how God responds to our doubt and how that should encourage us to believe even more strongly in him and who he is. As we come to Genesis chapter 16 we must recognize that after Abraham's incredible personal experiences with God, remember a great personal experience of Abraham is recorded in Genesis chapter 12. It's also recorded in Genesis chapter 15. Remember last week we saw this covenant ceremony, personal experience with God. But we have to realize that years have passed and Abraham still does not have a son. Look at verse one. It says Sarah, or Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. By this time in the story, Abraham's about 85 years old and Sarah's about 75 years old. Both of them are well past normal childbearing years. But at least Abraham has these incredible personal experiences with God. Sarah doesn't. Now, I'm sure she's heard about these incredible experiences. I'm sure she knows of the promises that God has made to Abraham. Any husband would tell his wife about those experiences and about the promise. But at this point, she has to be wondering, what about me? Can you imagine her heartache? She is 75 years old and has no children. In a culture where children are valued almost above everything else, she has no children. I hear her pain in verse two. The Lord has kept me from having children. But in addition to her pain, I hear her doubt because our pain Our trials and our difficulties often lead us to doubt. Think about your situation. If you are in a situation right now where you are experiencing pain, where you are in the midst of a trial, where you are in the midst of a difficulty, or remember a time in the past when you've been in a trial or pain or difficulty, what ends up happening? You end up doubting. We end up doubting God's faithfulness to us. Notice, she does not say, I don't have any children or I don't have any children yet. She says, the Lord has kept me from having children. The Lord. She has to be asking herself, does God even care about me? It is likely that she felt abandoned by God. Does God even see me? Sarah was experiencing doubt about the faithfulness of God to her. But it's interesting. Sarah does seem to believe God's promises to Abraham. She just doubts that it includes her. She doubts that God can fulfill his promises in his own way and in his own timing. So Sarah gets to work. Sarah initiates a plan. She impatiently runs ahead of God to start her own plan, to create her own solution. Now, please note, nowhere, nowhere is either Sarah or Abraham given the responsibility for producing a son. Implied at least is the assurance that God himself is going to provide a son for them. But Sarah, Sarah, Instructs Abraham to sleep with Hagar, her Egyptian slave, to sleep with her to have a child. Now, to me, that doesn't sound like a very good plan. But we're told in verse four that Abraham slept with Hagar and she conceived. Now, as bad as this sounds to us, it's actually a common custom of the time and of that culture. There's a number of ancient laws that actually allow this or prescribe for this. The Code of Hammurabi, for instance, prescribes that a woman who is without child, a woman who is barren, can provide her slave to her husband in order to conceive a child, a surrogate mother, if you will. Once that child is born, the child becomes the child of the wife and becomes an heir of the husband or an heir of the father. Now, although this may have been a common practice and a legal practice at the time, this is clearly not God's plan. This is clearly not the way God works. Remember what God told us in Genesis 2, verse 24? God's very clear He says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. God has a plan. It's one man, it's one woman, it is a one flesh union. This is God's plan for us. Now, understandably, you may have put together that these words were written long after Abraham lived. But because Abraham was so close to God, it is very likely that he understood this principle. He knew that this was not God's plan to initiate and fulfill his promise. Now back to Sarah. Now I believe that Sarah's motives may actually have been very good, but we have to recognize that the ends never justify the means. Because in her doubt, you see, she was believing that God was keeping her from something that she deserved, something that she wanted, something that maybe even she was designed for. In fact, it's interesting how closely what Sarah says resembles what Eve said in the garden. Look again at verse two. Perhaps I can build a family through her. You see, when we doubt God as the subject of the sentence, we gladly replace him with ourselves. Who better to solve our problems than us? And that's exactly what Sarah attempted to do here. She's going to take matters into her own hands and she is going to solve this problem. Well, as you can imagine, Sarah's plan does not go very well. Yes, Hagar conceives. But when Hagar knows she's pregnant, She starts to act a whole lot differently. She starts to think that she's equal to Sarah. She even starts to think that she is better than Sarah. What's Sarah's response? Clearly, Sarah gets angry, Sarah gets upset, Sarah even becomes a bit jealous. And in her anger and in her jealousy, she blames Abraham. She doesn't take any responsibility on herself. She says to Abraham, it's all your fault. Now, I realize there is a really good husband and wife joke here. (laughs) But I'm gonna let that one go. For my benefit, I'm gonna let that one go. Sarah steps in and tries to solve and resolve her own problems. And the result, Abraham says, hey, you can do what you want with Hagar. Hagar. So Sarah begins mistreating Hagar and Hagar runs away. Because of her doubt in God, Sarah takes matters into her own hands and initiates her own plan to make things right. Instead of praying and seeking God's counsel, she decided that she would help God out and solve her own problems. Does that sound familiar? Does that ring a chord with any of you? Have any of you tried to step in, take matters into your own hands and solve your own problems? Come on. Who among us has not honestly tried to step in, tried to get ahead of God, tried to make things work out the way we want them to work out? Maybe, maybe it's trying to force yourself into that school. Maybe it's trying to force Jesus on all those people in your life who do not know yet know Jesus. Maybe it's trying to win your girlfriend back at all cost. What is it for you? In what way are you trying to step ahead of God? In what way are you trying to take matters into your own hands? In what way are you trying to accomplish his plan, your plan instead of his plan? my friends. Stop it. Stop it. Stop trying to take matters into your own hands. Stop trying to get ahead of God. Stop trying to initiate his plan for your benefit in your timing. Can we all agree that God has made his promises? Can we all agree that God has made his promises? God has made us promises in the Bible, promises that specifically apply to you. He has made you promises. Last week, many of you wrote down and on Jim's instruction, what is that thing you're concerned about? What is that promise you're waiting for? And you wrote that down. Has God made you that promise? You know what the difficulty is though? A lot of times he doesn't give us dates or times to the promises that he makes for us. So what do we do? I'm gonna take care of this. I'm gonna take it into my own hands and I'm gonna solve my problem. Stop it. Here's what I want you to write down in your notes. Stop, wait, and listen. Stop, wait, and listen. It's kind of like stop, drop, and roll. Remember that? Of course you remember it because it's burned into your mind. If you catch on fire, what are you supposed to do? Yes, stop, drop, and roll. I am telling you right now, when you are in a state of doubt, Many of you have a lesson to learn from Sarah. And when you are in a state of doubt, stop, wait, and listen. Can we do that together? Stop, wait, and listen. Do not get ahead of yourselves. And more importantly, do not get ahead of God. If you are doubting his faithfulness to you right now, first instruction. Stop, wait, and listen. But there's more for us. There's another person we want to look at more closely. There's another person in the story who I also feel must have felt abandoned by God. Think about Hagar in her situation. For a brief moment, I have to think that Hagar thought things were looking up for her. She's carrying Abraham's baby. This would have meant a significant change in her status. But it ends up going to her head. She ends up acting differently. She ends up acting prideful. Sarah gets angry. Sarah mistreats her. So Hagar ends up running. Hagar takes matters into her own hands and runs away. But don't lose the fact that this had to be difficult for her. She knew at least about Abraham's God. She knew at least about the one true living God. She had to also have heard about Abraham's incredible personal experiences with God, about these promises. She probably felt like she was part of the promise. But things turned quickly for her and she ran. I have to believe that she wondered where God was in all of this for her. Does he even care? Has he abandoned me? Does God even see me? I believe Hagar was doubting the faithfulness of God to her. It's into this context that we read in verse seven. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. I think that's beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful. God, in his compassion and in his mercy, found Hagar. God saw Hagar in the middle of her desert. In her doubt, he found her. Then his words penetrate deeply into her actions and attitudes. Look at verse eight. Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going People, God knows where she's come from and God knows where she's going. When God asks a question in the Bible, you can assume that He knows the answer. He knows the information. The reason He asks the question is to help her understand the situation that she's in. It's why God asks questions of you and asks questions of me. He has the information. He just wants us to think about the situation that we're in. The Lord wanted Hagar to think about two things. Where have you come from? And where are you going? She had come from being Sarah's slave. And as such, she was not free to leave. And she didn't even know where she was going. So she clearly did not seek the Lord and his will for her. You see, those are good questions for us to ask ourselves when we find ourselves in the midst of a trial or in the midst of a difficulty, where have you come from and where are you going? Where have you come from? What is the trial that you're in right now? And are you supposed, what are you supposed to do? Where are you going? Where have you come from and where are you going? You see, because what God is trying to tell us is that in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of all of our doubt, our greatest need in a bad situation is not to escape. It's to seek the Lord. But here, it's important to note that as she's running, God finds her, not the other way around. And in finding her in her desert, in her doubt, he has some good news for her and he has some bad news for her. And it's the same news he has for us in our doubt as well. First, the bad news. Look at verse nine. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. God commands Hagar to return to Sarah and to submit When God speaks, we must submit. Now, I'm pretty sure that Hagar did not like this instruction. Do any of you think Hagar might have liked this instruction? I'm pretty sure Hagar did not like the instruction to return to Sarah and to submit to Sarah. You know why? Because for Hagar and for each one of us, submit is a dirty word. Because at the core of who we are, we do not like to or want to submit. And God says, in your time of doubt, when I speak to you, when I talk to you, you need to submit. Submit to what I have to say to you. But we need to be honest, we do not like to submit. The book of 1 Peter in the New Testament, all of it or much of it is about submission to authority in times of trial. In the book of Peter, 1 Peter, Peter addresses slaves who were living under harsh masters He addresses wives who have disbelieving husbands, and he addresses citizens who are all living under a corrupt and oppressive government. And in each one of the situations, Peter says to those individuals, excuse me, God through Peter, says to each of those individuals, submit to what I am telling you to do. Peter then concludes this epistle. Look what he writes in 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You see, our number one need in a time of trial, our number one need in a time of difficulty, in a time of doubt, is to submit to God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Why? Because God is in control of all of the circumstances. So, for you and me, when God speaks, we are to listen and we are to submit. We are to humble ourselves under His mighty hand, under His control, and that means we are to submit. And it's very interesting. I think within the submission, not only is it an act of obedience, but it is an act of protection as well. Do you wonder where Hagar thinks she was headed? Hagar was pregnant, she's alone, and she's in the middle of a desert. God's instruction for her to submit and return to Sarah is actually an act of mercy and protection because he cares and he wants the best for Hagar. When God says to you and me, submit, it is also a call to obedience as well as a protection out of his mercy for you and for me because he controls all the circumstances and he has our best interests in mind. Okay, now let's look at the good news. The good news beginning in verse 10. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. Hagar is going to have a son. His name will be Ishmael. We are told that his descendants too will also be too numerous to count. And we learn later that from him will come princes and rulers. Now, in some ways, as we read these verses, it appears to us to be sort of a curse. But to Hagar, this would have been good news Ishmael is going to be free, Ishmael is going to live a free lifestyle an unfettered lifestyle, an unrestricted lifestyle. Hagar is a slave. Her son is not going to be a slave. So Hagar sees this as comfort and as hope. This is good news to her. Now, some of you may be in a situation right now where you are experiencing a trial, you are experiencing a difficulty, a pain, and you are experiencing doubt. You are wondering, If God sees you, you are wondering if He cares for you. You're wondering in the back of your mind, has God abandoned me? But then you hear His voice. And it may just be a still, soft voice. But you hear the voice of God. And He's giving you instruction. And He's telling you to submit. And he's telling you to submit so that you can obey and experience his blessing and experience his protection. My friend, listen to his voice. Listen to the voice of God and submit to what he has for you. And in that submission, I promise you that he is going to bless you God always blesses our obedience. Now, I don't know how he's going to bless you. I don't know actually what he is going to do to bless you. But I promise you, if you submit, if you obey what he is saying to you, he is going to bless you. Do you see what God has done for us in Genesis chapter 16? He's given us the example of Sarah. While in your doubt, you are not to take matters into your own hands and you are to stop, wait, and listen. And then recognize that at some point in time, God is going to speak. And the continuum is, then you will listen and submit. And in doing so, you will experience the blessing of God. Did you hear the steps? Stop. Wait. Listen. And when he speaks, listen and submit. Even if you don't want to. Because that's the definition of submission. Now let's look at God's response to our doubt. God's response to our doubt. It is always amazing to me how God responds to us, particularly how he responds to us in our doubt. In this study of Genesis, we have seen over and over again God's determination to bless his people. We have seen it in and through Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, we are introduced to Abraham just because God chose to bless him. God shows up in his life and chooses to bless him. And today we see God continues to choose to bless Abraham, to bless Sarah, and to bless Hagar. In the midst of their doubt, in confusion, in the midst of their difficulty, God chooses to bless them. Even when Sarah and Hagar take matters into their own hands, God continues to show up and choose to bless them. Think about this for a minute. Sarah, even though she doesn't deserve it, ends up getting Hagar back as a more submissive person. Abraham ends up receiving a son, ends up having a new son that confirms the promises that God has made to him. And Hagar is promised a son who someday is going to be free. God shows up. And blesses them, meets them in their doubt. And in this, we see that God is merciful to those who doubt. And this morning, if you're here and you're listening to me and you are experiencing doubts, if you are experiencing doubts about God's faithfulness to you, His trustworthiness to you, know that He is merciful to you in your doubt. Look at Hagar after all that happens to her. She comes to understand this truth. Look at verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Look at that. God sees But not only does God see, it's even better than that. It says, God sees me. My friend, God sees. And this morning, it's much better than that. God sees you. He sees you in the midst of your pain. He sees you in the midst of your trial. He sees you in the midst of your difficulty. He sees us in the midst of our doubt and he is merciful to those who doubt. He sees you. And what's interesting about the Bible is he sees you is synonymous with he cares for you. By God saying he sees you, he is declaring his care for you. And look at the result. You like Hagar, for me, for you, we will be able to say, I have now seen the one who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. In our culture, it's interesting to me. We also often say the phrase, Seeing is believing. Have you ever heard that? Seeing is believing. And a lot of times we operate our lives that way because it's just so prevalent, a principle that's around us every day. We look at the evidence, we evaluate the evidence, and then out of the evidence, we come to a conclusion. This is what happens in a court of law. Evidence is presented in a case. The evidence is evaluated and a conclusion is made. Why? Because seeing is believing. But in God's economy, it's much different. It's not seeing is believing. It's believing is seeing. See, Hagar comes. I now comes to say, I now see the one who sees me. This morning if you are experiencing doubt about God's faithfulness to you, about his trustworthiness, if you're questioning if in fact you can trust God, my encouragement is believe. Believe. Believe that God is merciful to you in your doubt. Believe that he is going to speak Believe that it is best for you to obey. Believe so that you can see the one who sees you. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God who is merciful to us in our doubt. I thank you. are a God who demonstrates his compassion, his care, and his love for us in so many different ways. Lord, I pray that for those of us who are experiencing doubt this morning, that you would help us through your spirit to believe so that we can see. Lord, help us to stop, to wait, to listen. And Lord, help us to listen and submit, recognizing that you do love us, you care for us, and you have our best interests in mind. Lord, help us to believe to see you in all things and in all ways, but ultimately, Lord, to see you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, we love you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, Seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.